The Napa Know How Motorsport Academy is back, bigger than ever, in 2022. Led by supercar star Bryce Forward as the driver mentor, the Academy offers tuition to all racers aged 13 and up, giving insights into the world of racecraft and analysis, plus information on health, sponsorship and media. On top of the information you'll receive, you can win regular prizes and best of all, it's free to join. Get involved at the new Napa Motorsport Asia Pacific Facebook and Instagram pages or visit the Napa Australia or New Zealand websites to sign up and be part of know-how that is synonymous with Napa. Start your engines. This is the Napa Auto Parts Grassroots Racer Podcast. The Napa Auto Parts Grassroots Racing Podcast. Welcome. Go to the Napa Auto Parts website. Jump on their know-how academy and join in all the fun there. This is episode five of the Napa Auto Parts Grassroots Racing Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the first four special guests, Tony Riccadello, Tim Macro, Alan Heapy, and Paul Stokel. It's been a busy period over the last seven days with our friends in the Precision Intel Sports Sedans, Aussie Racing Cars, Porsche Carrera Cup, and of course the historic touring cars racing over there at Tail and Bend. It gets even busier in the next few weeks, which we will discuss in the last segment of our show here today. Napa Know How Academy is a free service to help improve your grassroots racing, fitness, diet, mental well-being, press and media, social media strategies, and much, much more. About 20 years ago, a bloke didn't like me very much, but over the last 20 years, I have uh, brought him along for the ride. It's my natural musk and, of course, my uh, rugged outdoor appearance. Gary O'Brien, my mate, welcome to episode five. Well, you've got to have at least one mate out there, Daz. Hello out there. It's taken me 20 years to get you on board. <laughs> yeah, looking forward to tonight's show, but we've got a, some formalities to get through first. Certainly do. We've got uh, Grant Rowley, who will be catching up with our next young gun in Australian motorsport. Over to you, Grant. And I've got Brent Peters with me on the Napa Auto Parts Grassroots Racing Podcast. Brent, you are over in WA and you've done and do a wide variety of grassroots racing. Tell us about your motorsport journey. Yeah, well, um, I love anything motorsport motorsport turns me on um and and i'm into everything and anything so i've had um sprint cars love speedway brought up around speedway uh i've got a sports sedan that um we campaign i've got a, a production race car a little Renault mcgann and then the hyundai xls uh, i've got a couple of those that uh, have a few guys get out and um anything i can do to get people on the track and get myself on the track um i'm into well, it's great that uh, you love your motorsport. It's also great that you join the Napa Know How Motorsport Academy as well. Just tell us a little bit about uh, some of the things that you've been able to get out of uh, the por portal that that we have and uh, the information that we supply. Yeah, it was one of the um, XL guys, Steve McGregor, it got me onto it, um, and it's it's pretty cool. I really enjoy the the stuff from Bryce Forward, so. I think he's pretty underrated. I reckon he's, he's a great talent. Um, and the biggest thing I got out of that, he did a, a little video on your support network. You know, how you start off with your family and then you, if you want to take things seriously, you've got to get that bigger and get good people engaged. And we sort of did that this year and now we're running three cars and, and it's, uh, you know, stuff like that is coming from the pros and making it twig with what you do. That's, that's pretty cool. Um, and then some of the media stuff, cause I cover media for one of our categories here and, you know, just the tips and tricks and, and what to really do, um, you know, has been really helpful. Awesome. Great that it has uh, has been a benefit. Now, so you do some circuit racing stuff and you do Speedway. What do you prefer, tarmac or dirt? Um, I prefer tarmac because I'm more comfortable there. Um, I wish I had more time in Speedway because it is such a raw, fast sport. So not fast as in terminal speed like we get on some of the circuits, but the turnaround time and the action and the atmosphere is it's just different. It is just a very, very cool sport, whether you're spectating or in the seat. Um, yeah, it is just a, a better show, if that makes sense. Yeah, cool. Okay, so uh, we uh, we love our West Aussies and we've got lots of them in 
the Napa Academy. Tell us uh, just your thoughts about where the grassroots scene in uh, Perth and, and Western Australia currently sits. I guess when people think about uh, motor racing in Perth, they think about Barbagello, but there's another couple of uh, circuit racing tracks. Uh, you've got Collie down there as well. Just tell us a little bit about your thoughts on where the grassroots racing scene uh, sits at the moment. Yeah, well, I'm pretty biased being on the committee up at Wanneroo there. Um, awesome facilities, awesome track, but grassroots racing. So XLs are just dominating at the moment. It's just getting stronger and stronger. And then Collie, they've just done an extension. So the Collie layout is just fantastic. It is a really, really good layout. There's a lot more turns in it. Um, it, it takes some of the horsepower equation out of it. So you don't have to have the big horsepower car to be quick at Collie. It's more of a driver's track. I'm probably going to get kicked for saying that. Um, and then Speedway, we've got a lot of country tracks as well that put on a lot of shows throughout the year. So it's just huge wherever you go every weekend. Well, thank you very much for that from the Napa Auto Parts Academy for improving all of your grassroots racing. Gaz, great to have a, an absolute journeyman and a legend of grassroots racing in Australian motorsport with us tonight. Yeah, our guest tonight started racing at club level in New South Wales at such iconic circuits like Amaru and Oran Park. He has since progressed to take on many other circuits around Australia and overseas, from street sedans to improved production, sports sedans, supercars and more production-based categories, he's competed against the best. Vehicles he has driven include different models of Toyotas, Suzukis, BMWs, Commodores and Porsches. There's even been a Ford or two, a Hyundai, and even a Dodge Viper. But Daz, and you'll really like this, he's best known for racing Mazdas for the, of the rotary kind to such a point that he now has his own series. Welcome to the Napa Auto Parts Grassroots Racing Podcast, Rick Shaw. Hello, Rick. How are you? Yeah, great. Excellent. G'day, Rick. Darren, Darren Smith, Smith. Um, oh. at the other end. I know you know Gaz, but um, we have met many, many moons ago. But uh, thank you very much for coming on to our podcast. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me along, Darren. That's fantastic. And uh, Gary, thanks very much for the invite. Listen, we're going to have to start right at the beginning. So it's going to stretch your memory somewhat, going back to probably the middle to late 80s when you were racing street sedans at uh, places like Amaru and Oran Park. Yeah, that was right. Uh, 80. 83, I think, stretching the memory, Oran Park in an RX3. What a way to start, an RX3. All the great start in RX3s. Yeah, the good old Rotary. So I was, I was working with Rotaries back then and haven't stopped since. And uh, so, yeah, 83 Oran Park in an RX3 and then kicked off in the street stands with an RX2 and then an RX4 from memory. Yeah, I remember you in the RX4, most certainly racing in the over two-litre street sedans. What uh, started you off in motor racing? What, why pick that category and, and how it progressed from there? Well, I started off with the Mazda Car Club of New South Wales originally and uh, just interested in cars all the way along. So got myself into a car club and, and went from there. But um, street sedans was, I guess where I was destined to start off because I was working with Phil Alexander at the time and he was a you know well-known rotary specialist back in the day and he was involved in the street sedan category himself. So obviously with my boss involved in street sedans, I, I got into it you know, and, and, and off I went. It was pretty Phil Alexander days. is one of the, uh, the rotary people alongside you, Rick, that, that sort of fall into that legendary status from the, from the New South Wales side of things, because street sedans was absolutely huge uh, in that era in the early eighties, right, well, right through probably to the early nineties um, here in Victoria, it was a lot more around the, the road registered, which became the club cars category, but certainly many, many people you, know, you mentioned, you know, Phil Alexander and yourself getting a really good start in, you know, production based cars going around those great old tracks. Yeah, that, that's right, Darren. It was absolutely mental back days, back in those days, because it was like you'd have thirty plus RX twos and threes or whatever thundering up the hill at Amaru. You know, it was it was wasn't a one make uh, one make series really. You know, it was all Mazdas, but just all the different rotaries, and and, and that progressed later on to RX fours. And I even remember an RX five with Mike Mortimer. 
racing in the streets today. It's once and, and then RX-7s started to appear, you know, the occasional Series 1 RX-7 or something. I think Terry Lewis, he raced an RX-7 in street sands. It was just absolutely mental how many Mazda Rotaries ran around in those days, you know, banging into each other and destroying doors and bumper bars and all that sort of stuff, which are today worth their weight in gold. I've got one in the garage, actually, a rear bumper and a uh, boot lid off an RX-3. So if anyone's looking for one, contact us. Mate, what, the, what they're worth, they, they pay your power bill for the next 10 years. <laughs> Not in current power bill times, that's for sure. <laughs> hey, what is it with street sedans and the Mortimer name? Well, Mike Mortimer was up? another... Mike was another rotary specialist back in the day and uh, well-known everywhere. And, uh, and like, alongside Phil, they, they raced against each other and in all sorts of different categories with, with a lot of history there but they were just rotary guys and, and they built rotary engines and turned them into rockets and, and, and all sort of, that was, that was the sort of thing they did. And, and I followed suit with my work and, and, and haven't stopped and still working with rotaries now. And how yeah, was yeah. your success in street stands? How, how was your uh, um, win loss ratio in those days? Because I, I tried to do a bit of uh, background and I knew you'd race those cars and there's nothing, there's nothing anywhere that you can find unless you get onto a, like an old Mazda car club um, um, magazine or something like that. Early yeah, auto we, action we, to cover it. Yeah, auto action. Absolutely, Gary. And I've got some of the old cutouts from back then in a, in a photo album, actually. But, you know, no internet then. It's hard to, hard to find the results. But I, look, I can remember my first street sedan race in an RX2. Um, it was at Oran Park in an RX2 and I was, I qualified third on the grid. So it, look, I think I went all right back in that day. Um, and I remember I had a, a brush up with, uh, one of the lunatics out there. It was Alan Shepard. He was a car salesman at the time. And again, a lot of the guys who raced in street stands back, they, for some reason were car sales blokes up along Parramatta road, you know? And, uh, so when they weren't selling cars, the little old ladies, they were uh, racing Mazdas on the weekend, but. I had a brush up with Alan and he nudged me off the track and I grazed the wall. And that was my first sort of bit of damage in motor racing. And, and uh, Phil Alexander was there on the day, as I said, I was working for him and, and he just laughed when I came off the track with a quarter panel all stoved in. So yeah, anyway, happy days. Actually, I had um, beers with Alan just a couple of weeks ago. We were watching the last state of origin together. So he's still around. Uh, and, Phil, uh, yeah, hasn't changed. yeah. No, I'm talking about Alan. Oh, Alan, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, and he still wears the same hat, I think. Um, yeah, no, that might have been kicked off his head a couple of times. <laughs> anyway, look, all great characters. It's amazing the sort of people you meet in motorsport. Um, you know, back then and again also today, it's just, it's, it's, it's crazy the sort of characters and the, the personalities and they, they come and they go. But some of them just seem to stick around and they don't seem to go away, you know. So like, guys like John Bow. How long has he been doing it for? And, and, and he's still here with us racing. Um, so maybe I'll end up like him. I don't know. I've been doing it for nearly 40 years. So uh, I've got no intent of stopping yet. Um, maybe wound down a little bit and probably going a little bit slower, um, but still having good fun. I reckon as we get through this podcast tonight, Rick, you'll, uh, you'll realise that you're still going as hard as you, uh, you ever were. And uh, a, great, uh, a great motorsport guy like yourself never missed an opportunity. So you, you do have some news around the great man, John Bow, that you just mentioned as he's, uh, I guess, as time has gone on, you've found uh, some other things to keep you interested in motorsport. And we will we'll grab that bit of information off you now with, with John Bow and, uh, and your category, the RX-8 Cup that you're running. Yeah, look, absolutely. Um, I mean, everybody in motorsport's got their hero and, and one of mine, was, has always been John Bow. Um, I've always had a lot of respect for him and the fact that he's still going as strong and, and doing as well as he's doing now, his age is just remarkable. And I hope I can be like that myself when I get a bit older, but um, I've known John quite well, you know, rubbing shoulders as we have for many years at the track. And I rang him up the other day and I said, hey, I need to get you into one of these RX-8s of mine at, in the RX-8 Cup Series, you know, which is the one like series I run. And, uh, mate, just come and have a bash. It's just good fun. No pressure. You know, just get in, turn the key and go. And he said, well, I don't know what I'm getting myself into, but bugger it. I'll come along and have a steer. So he's going to jump in with us on uh, this weekend at a uh, grassroots motorsport at a round of the New South Wales Championship at Sydney Motorsport Park. The, um, like, like yourself, have been a versatile competitor. I'm 
kind of dive back a bit now and talk about uh, your moves into other categories. Obviously, street sedans went through that period where they were very, very popular at club level. But you decided to branch out, do a bit of other racing, uh, improved production, sports sedans. Was this just an ongoing development of working with Rotaries? Yeah, look, I think so. Um, you know, the street sedans was, didn't die away so much, but the improved production um, category was growing strongly at the time, and that was modified cars and and everybody wants to drive faster cars so we were all starting to modify the cars and we needed to race them somewhere so then yeah the new south wales um what was it called back then new south wales club car association yep. was formed yeah i was involved in yep. that and it became the improved production i think darren you've got a lap record improved production somewhere haven't you? <laughs> i did have one at winton in a yeah. my, my career was uh in in an rx3 but it was a 10a peripheral port so under two liter car so uh Rick, thank you very much. That will uh, that will set the media centre alight this weekend at Queensland Raceway when everyone hears that. Because I like to Excellent. remind everyone of that when we race at Winton. Oh, like, every time have a lap record anywhere, but like back then in Winton would have been the short circuit from memory. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yep. I remember it well. I, I, I did the Suzuki GDI series, which was a one-make series back in 95, and, and we raced there. And even though it was a short circuit, it was a hell of a lot of fun in those little cars and fun in anything around there. But since they lengthened it, look, it's a better track, Winton. And we all love it in the RX-8 Cup Series and we all look forward to going back there and racing. Um, but you look, Ipera was, um, back then it was the select Maz boys that I think used to rule the roost down Absolutely. there in Victoria. It certainly did. Actually, interesting you use that word, rule the roost, because Gary's magazine, Auto Action, had a picture of my car uh, going back whenever it was, 94, 95, whatever it was. And it was Mazda's tend to rule the roost in club cars. That was the title across the top of it. So uh, that was yeah, good. Yeah, they, they did in the day. Like if you wanted to win in IPRA, which was you know abbreviation for improved production, you, you had to have a rotary. And <clears throat> that's changed these days. And the rotaries are pretty much all sort of died out from the category, which is a bit of a pity. But um, I guess that's why I started my category to bring back what we had back in the day of street sedans. So I thought we'll rekindle it in the form of RX-8 Cup as a one-make series. But, you know, we, we can talk about that. But um, it, it improved production is, was and still is a fantastic category for people to go and race whatever they've sort of built in the garage and what they've modified so that those cars pretty much fit into a category that allows them to get out there and, and turn a wheel. It's, it's fantastic category. It is interesting when you look back down through some of the history and the names that were winning in that era that you talk about. And I refer to the likes of Phil Douglas, who's just sold Motec to Bosch. I mean, crikey, if you could get in a bigger uh, automotive juggernaut, um, Ken Douglas, who was, you know, early days with Richard Bendel and Motec and, and all of those. And, and, you know, Ken Douglas's career is, is massive. All different, yeah, yeah, different forms of it. Plenty of uh, plenty of names have moved through uh, through that category. Rick, can we get a bit of focus right back onto onto your motorsport career? And and both Gary and I had a quick chat today about before coming on here. But we were supposed to be a quick chat. But your career is is absolutely massive, and the diversity. Um, you know, I I hark back to the ninety four two is one thousand when you um, you finished in the Stephen McLean Motorsport VP Commodore. How did we go from a street sedan racer, club car racer into, you know, all of a sudden you're at the, you're at the big one, you're at the, the Bathurst 1000 event. Um, I guess the one word that just gives you that answer is passion. Um, I've always been passionate about my motor racing and my cars, not just rotaries, but lots of other cars. And I just, the, the passion to drive and, and, and go the next step and just make it happen however i could you know like you'd sell your right arm if you had to to get onto the grid and I, back then in 94 i got a phone call from steve mclean he said how would you like to drive at bathurst in a you know you know a leased car off the lansvale boys and i said are you joking of course i want to drive and you just you sell whatever you got to sell to make it happen because you know sponsorship's never been something i've been able to pick up but just just passionate mate just pushing myself making it happen talk to people and after a little while, I guess some people realized that I was kind of reliable behind the steering wheel. I didn't bust up too many cars. So they're happy to have you around. And, you know, I just sort of went from there, but um, uh, swinging spanners as a mechanic and doing all my own work certainly made it a lot easier for me to, to race a lot of cars because I built them and I repaired them and maintained them 
you know, all by myself. Um, but yeah, just, I don't know, being, being in the right place at the right time probably helps a lot. Um, but just never, never losing sight of, of my dream. And, and, you know, that's the advice I give to young drivers these days. Just, if you've got a dream, just don't give up and keep pushing and, and keep trying. And sooner or later, things fall your way. And, and with any luck, you know, you'll, you'll get to do what you want to do. Well, it wasn't your only visit to Bathurst. You went there quite a few times after uh, that initial contest. Uh, Novocastrium Motorsport teamed up with uh, Wayne Russell there on a few occasions to run with him. Had a run with in a Hyundai Lantra in the um, Super Touring race as well. So you weren't done with, with certainly running on the mountain. No, that's right. Yeah, I remember that. That was um, Paul Pickett ran the Hyundai like a... Uh special Hyundai division with race cars and and when the super tourers ran a separate race to the v8 supercars yep um actually i was really lucky i did the super tourer 1000 two years in a row and the v8 1000 two years in a row so that was being pretty greedy but yeah after the Hyundai i went back with anthony robson who had one of the old x longhurst bmws and we we ran the 1000 race in the bmw which was great I think that I did was in six, 98, I think that was. 97 and 98 in Super yep. Tourers. And I think I had six starts in the V8s. Um, I can't remember. Done, done too much to kind of remember, really. But uh, was, lots of people just sort of gave me a go, you know, and, and had some faith, I guess, in me and, and, and trusted that I could get in and do the job that they wanted me to do. Rick, we're talking about a bloke that has really come from grassroots of motorsport and you, you've gone to the 1,000. Give us a a bit of a feeling over those starts and you're sitting there at the, at Bathurst and, you know, it is the big one here in Australia, whether people like it or not, it is the, the one that you want to be in. What is the feeling when, when you're about to walk onto the mountain on, on, on Wednesday afternoon or Thursday morning and your weekend starts. And then what's it like when the race actually starts? Well, okay. Terrifying. Back then I was obviously younger <laughs> than I am now. I hadn't even sat in the car when we got up to Bathurst in 94, I hadn't even heard the engine run. Um, so jumped in, it did the first practice session, pushed on, uh, had a deflating tire, bounced off a wall, damaged the front left-hand corner, lost all my confidence overnight. The TAFE boys fixed it and we were back on the track the next day. Come race day, it was raining. Nobody driven the car in the wet and the guys I was driving with sort of they all were too scared to start in the wet, literally. And, and they just said, you, you've got the job. And, and I said, I don't, I don't want to do it. And they said, well, you don't have a say in it. We've decided you're starting. So next thing I'm sitting on the grid, about to start the first 1,000 in the wet. And honestly, terrified, you know. Uh, didn't know what, what to do with it. But I don't know. It's like anything. It just becomes natural. You, you push on, you change gears, you turn the steering wheel, it all happens. And the next thing, you, you, you stop thinking about it. And you just get on with the job. Um, so wonderful experience and I can remember it like it was only yesterday uh you know and that was just first of a few that I did and and the, and the fears were all those sort of same nerves were with me when I first went to Nürburgring to do the 24 hour and you know I'll be honest with you that's even more demanding than than Bathurst has ever been for me so you just take a deep breath and uh you just get on with the job I guess so 2008 you, you went over to the 24 hours with the Mazda RX-7, this was um, something that, that I'm interested to hear. Was, was this the same Sennheiser car that you'd been, you ran here in many, many production car races or was it a different RX-7? No, it was a brand new car we built specifically for Nürburgring to do the 24 hour. Cause the first time I went to Nürburgring was 2002 and went a few more times after that. And then I decided I've got to come back here with my own car. This is just crazy, this place, it's unbelievable. And I could talk all night about Nürburgring, but when I decided I'd go back to Sydney, build my own car, I did. And we fronted up about two years later on the grid at Nürburgring with the Mazda, um, brand new car, ran it over there two years in a row, finished both times and, uh, and shipped it back to Australia. Um, I was over there when Mal Rose was running his own cars. He's, he's here from, you know, from Sydney. Um, he was taking cars over and running them over there. And it was just a, a fantastic time for us at a fantastic place. Um, and we had a lot of really great drivers that were coming over and driving with us. So, yeah, that's something I'm, I'm never going to forget. And 
I came second in class a couple of times at Nürburgring in the 24 hour. And then finally, 2016, we won our class. Um, I've got those trophies sitting here in the lounge room. Uh, I'm pretty chuffed about that. And uh, I'm back over there in September, actually, in, in four weeks' time. So with any luck, try and get another trophy. But uh, look, trophies or no trophies, just finishing that sort of a race in Germany is, is all you go to do. Um, and uh, it's just the, yeah, the most challenging race, I guess, probably anywhere in the world. Um, it's massive, just absolutely massive. So going on those first few attempts at that particular race and then coming up in 2016, in, I think it was in the, the diesel era of the BMW that you got the, the first place in that year. But the lead up to getting that, that first in, in place, and as you said, it, it's to finish. In, in that 2016 race, was there a bit of a mindset change? Was there, you know, we're actually going to, we've actually got the right thing here that we can win our class. And did you Absolutely. have an expectation that that was what was going to happen? Um, well, <laughs> I guess we were pretty confident about three o'clock in the morning. It was pissing with rain. And I remember driving the car and I thought, I, I can't throw this away. We, we are leading our class. I can't believe this is happening. I, I can't throw this away. I've got to bring it home. You know, there's another bloke standing in the pits waiting to get back in, and that's how sort of endurance racing works. Um, you, you know, they're relying on you to do the right thing. And, yeah, our expectations were very high. Um, and as the hours ticked by and our run was virtually faultless, we didn't have any mechanical problems. We just pushed on through. Um, yeah, yeah, and we came home with a win, which was fantastic. And that thing was an absolute rocket, you know, it was a, 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 like a, a GTR-type m3 bmw thing um run by a british team um and i made some really good friends out of that and i keep and i've been racing a few times since with them you know uh, one of the guys i was driving with dave cox we've gone and done the 25 hour in america at thunder hill and we've done a few six hours together and and uh, i forget i think we've done 12 i don't know 12 hours no well we've done done a few 24 hours together um Spain, we did the 24 hour twice in Spain, came third in class twice. Um, and yeah, I'll be back with uh, Coxie in, in um, Nürburgring next month in his BMW. So, you know, you, you, it's amazing. You meet these people overseas, you kindle new friendship. And, and like I said earlier, they, they, they realize, I guess they have a little bit of faith in you and there's a bit of trust there. And they realize that you don't sort of throw the car into the wall too often they'll keep having your back. And, um, and that's where I guess I've been fortunate. I've, I've had that opportunity to keep on driving cars for some German teams um, and English teams. And look, not all the cars are really nice to drive. I'll, I'll be honest, some of them have been pretty hairy and not set up very well. And others have been fantastic. You know, I, dro I drove a factory, Aston, one of the Aston Martins from the factory team, one year there, GT4 type spec car. And that was just an absolute joy. But I suppose the, the thing I was the happiest with or proudest with was to build my own car, take it all the way over there and finish twice. Um, and especially being a 24 hour, that's twice what Mazda were doing here with the 12 hour races. I wanted to um, um, bring up a couple of things. Uh, firstly, the 2002 Bathurst 12, uh, 24 hour, where you won the one class B in a BMW M coupe. And the secondly right, yeah. is the, um, is that a lot of people really don't understand, but a 12, a 12 hour, 24 hour are really endurance races. And often you are spending a lot of time in the pits repairing stuff and fixing things to just to get it to the finish. And that must be mentally draining as well. Uh, look, absolutely. Um, you're crossing your fingers and your toes and hoping that nothing on the car breaks. You're hoping that the driver doesn't mistake, make a mistake and, and break it or that another driver doesn't come along and, and destroy your whole race and, you know, crash into you and take you out or something silly like that. And, um, look, I've, I've had my fair share of moments when I've, you know, certainly thought this is it. I've, I've finished, finished the race here. I've put it into the wall myself. Um, that particular race you were talking about, we lost the ABS in that BMW. I think it was that year and it was raining. In the middle of the night, come round to the cutting, um, no ABS and there'd been a crash and there was cars that bounced off the wall. The track was all but blocked. And as I went through a gap that virtually didn't exist, I, I've just glanced the wall and put the steering out of whack. I think so that was I 2003. Was it? And the boys yeah. had to jump under the car in the middle of the night and they, they pulled the front right end strut out, ran up to 
the TAFE boys, welded this strut, came back, bolted it back in, put the wheel on, and boom, we were back out and racing. Um, and I finished don't third in class. Finished third in class. class there you go. Yeah. The, the trick with endurance, Gary, is, you know, you just got to keep turning the wheel and don't give up and keep going, 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 and maybe you'll end up with a result. Rick, what is the... Um distinct difference between let's say your rx8 cup which is sprint races um and doing these longer distance races do you take a different mindset at all or is it all done in the preparation in the garage or what is it what's the what's the definition of each form of those sorts of racing uh there's definitely a difference um many years ago when i was I'd, did a search for a champion competition with Alan Grice back in 1990. And there's a couple of things I learned off Alan and I still practice those today. And one of them was races are won in the workshop. All your preparation is what wins your races. And people argue, oh, it's not true. You still got to drive the car. Yeah, but you can't drive the car if it falls apart. So preparation is a huge thing. And with endurance racing, you just got to concentrate hundred percent on making the car bulletproof so it can finish. Um, so far as attitude goes, I, I watch the young guys now driving sprint racing, like in RX8 Cup, and they're trying to win it on the first race, you know, first lap, first corner. Um, whereas endurance, it's complete opposite. We don't even think about our position until about an hour, maybe half an hour to go in the Nurburg race, and then we worry about where we're situated. Um, you know, and and that's that's endurance racing for you. You've really got to pace yourself. Um, it's a bit like tarmac rallying, which I've done a lot of. You'd never drive 10 tenths. You're always eight tenths and just pace yourself. Drive to survive. Yeah, you've got to survive. That's yeah. right. I do um, I do like the fact, Rick, that you've taken advice off Alan Grice there as well, another bloke who started out in an RX3. Yeah. yeah. I'll tell you, just funny. The no, other MG thing, started out in. Oh, did he? Sorry. Yes. <laughs> Grice, he taught me how he relaxed on the starting grid. He'd sit there and he'd shake his hands like he was going crazy. And people would look at him and go, what's wrong with you? You're shaking your hands. But you shook your hands. You took all the tension out of your, your fingers and wrists and arms. And it helped you relax. And he's right. And I still sit on a dummy grid. And I still do that today when I go racing. I reckon there's going to be some kids in the Napa Academy <laughs> that are going to be shaking their hands this weekend, next weekend, and every weekend for yeah. ever more now, Rick. That's a, you, that's a you, great you realize You realise, Rick, that when you when your cars all line up for their first race this weekend, everyone's going to be sitting <laughs> in them shaking their hands. Probably. Probably. I mean, I taught my son, Tom, who's who's leading the championship at the moment, to do it. And, and occasionally I'll peer through the window and I'll see him shaking his hands. And I go, yep, he listened. <laughs> one of the few times in his life he listens to his dad well, can i just take can i just take you back to the nurburgring one of the one of the ones you drove there was a porsche 911 a gt3 cup car um as opposed to the other cars that you drove in the the 24-hour race the the gt3 cup car is a you know a thoroughbred that is designed to do that exact sort of racing was that a was that a different level to to the bmw and your rx7 and, and other cars that you had done in that race absolutely that, that car was ter terrifyingly quick in a straight line it was nothing in the race faster than us in a straight line um now it was supposed to be i think it's supposed to be a 3.8 liter and knowing the germans it was probably a four liter but the thing was a missile it was like 285 k's plus down the straight um so some of the faster cars were faster in lap times they were quicker than us around the corners because they had more aero but in a straight line, because we had a little bit less aero, we drive past and down the long straight and, and sort of pull away. Um, it was a missile and it had, it actually took me for a ride at one stage because it had an air operated paddle shift system and which auto had auto blip and the whole thing. So on the downshift, when you blip, uh, pulled the paddle and it blipped for you, the auto blip started to stick. So it would hold the throttle on and keep on driving you into the corner as if the throttle was sticking and it was absolutely terrifying to the point where i pitted and got out of the car and said i cannot drive the car and the germans were there going well, it's all right it's okay just drive just drive don't worry about it i said you get in and you drive it <laughs> <laughs> so they, they had to pull whatever it was apart and fix this auto blip thing and we kept on going but yeah that was a fantastic car um built by a German team to do the job and the Germans know Nürburgring, it's their backyard and it's just unbelievable how well they can set a car up 
to drive around there. It's just fantastic. Really good. And speaking of uh, quick cars, I noticed that there was a couple of Wakefield 300s where you had a Mazda RX-7, but it was Chev-powered and also oh, yeah, that's the, right. the Dodge Viper. Tell me about those two particular cars. Yeah, well, the, R- the RX-7, uh, Steve Anslow had an RX-7 and we blew up a few rotary engine and engines in it. So he said, stuff, this will put a V8 in it. And that car was fantastic. So it was an animal, um, a really good car and, and well-balanced, even with the V8 in the front. It was uh, quite lightweight. Um, we won the Wakefield 300 with that from memory. Uh, even in the wet, it was a good car. Gaz, it's only that Rickshaw's saying this that I'm not disagreeing. Anyone else, I would go, yeah, right. <laughs> hey, you know, I'm a rotary guy probably more so than most guys, but I still like and appreciate a car if it deserves it. And, and, and I like, you know, some people want to shoot me, but a V8 engine in an RX-7 FD was, is a good thing. Um, and uh, and I, I've got nothing against it. Certainly a fun, certainly a fun car to drive. Um, you mentioned a Dodge Viper there, though. Yeah. Gary. Yep. Um, that was like driving a tractor. Um, <laughs> you know, fun in a different way, but not really exhilarating. I'll, I'll say when you pointed in a straight line, V10 engine had lots of grunt, but that was about all the car had. Um, I think I drove that at Bathurst. Um, that was uh, Mike Conway's Dodge Viper. Nations Cup. That's right. It was Nations Cup. Yep. Nations Cup at Bathurst. And of course, you teamed up with him as well in the 1000 in a Falcon. That's right. Yeah, we, mm. we raced, uh, we did the inaugural Queensland uh, 500 at QR back when the V8s first went to, to, to QR race uh, to do an endurance race there. And then, yeah, we did Bathurst together as well. So, yeah, we did a little bit of V8 stuff together. I used to do a lot of his test driving and setting up for him with his V8, which was good because it gave me a uh, bum in seat time, which is what so hard to get with V8s. Uh, at any time for anybody, you know. Um, Especially these days. Uh, even harder these days. And yeah. and look, the cars we were driving back then at Bathurst in the 90s, uh, nothing like the cars they're driving these days. Um, we, I think we all know that. Um, mm. But still, you know, they were different cars, but they were fantastic to drive. At times, a handful. Um, you had to have your wits about you. Um, and, and even that car I drove in 94, that didn't have power steering, that Lansvale car. Um, so they just had a big steering wheel on it back then to make it easier to turn. I asked Alan Grice that once, why do the NASCARs have such big steering wheels? He said, well, you've got to put the whole body over them to turn them because they don't have power steering. Yeah. Yeah. It makes it hard. So mm. I think, I think the guys these days in some ways have got a little bit easier with the cars they drive. I'm not going to say they drive themselves, but they're engineered so well now that, uh, it's sort of more fingers and toes, I think. Mm. Our friends at Improved Production, which is going gangbusters in Australia at the moment, will uh, hunt Gary and I down if we don't ask you about your second in the Nationals in the RX-7 in uh, 2003 and whose car that was and, and who, who built it and the, around that uh, particular assault on the, uh, on the Nationals. Uh, that was the Nationals at Sydney Motorsport Park or the yes. Nationals at Horan Park? No, Sydney Motorsport Park it was. I think it was one oh. Noel McFarlane won. In the um, Rainbow Warrior, right? I I, th- I think yeah, it was. Um, I yeah. was driving Peter Rushton's RX7 in that race, from memory. That um, sounds about right. Yep. I'd won the sports. Was that '98? I'd won the sports sedan championship in my car, and he cleaned up the production, uh, the improved production championship in his car. So we swapped cars for the last for the last race, or something like that. Um, that might have been a different race, but we ended up swapping cars for the last race of the season. Last meeting. Need, yeah, last meeting of the yeah. season because we, we'd both won the championships. Um, but the, memories, the memory serves yeah, me. Peter's car. Memory serves me. There was a lot of cars fell out of that last improved production. I think it was the final of the Nationals, if, it, if I'm on the same wave line, uh, that... Rainbow Warrior, which was formerly Terry Lewis's car. I mean, Noel McFarlane got it and um, wasn't expected to win, but I think a few of the front runners fell over and not saying he didn't drive well, but he he actually won due to that. that yeah, right? you're right. Um, yeah. The guy who we thought was going to win that, I uh, can't remember his name, in a red RX-3, blew up the engine 
on the second last lap or something silly. Um, and I got hit by Wayne Wakefield and turned around. Um, so I thought I think I was going to come second or something. And, and I got, actually got turned around on the second last corner and he turned himself around doing it in the process. And I remember the clerk of the course having a fairly stern discussion with us afterwards, um, or both of us, but uh, <laughs> I was on the receiving end at that time. Um, so yeah, it's just one of those things that happens in motorsport. Yeah. Well, you don't do it intentionally. It just happens. I remember yeah, Wayne happens. Wakefield yeah. at Phillip Island at the Nationals coming onto the straight there in that that wild wagon that he drove, all fill, all fill four wheels off the back of the Ripples trip, stayed in the power, grabbing gears along the grass and came back on sort of halfway down the straight. Uh, many others have come off there and not been able to uh, control that, but that car was certainly wild. We've, we've touched on a, a great bit of um, endurance aspect to your career, Rick, the, the other interesting thing is, and right at the very other end of it, is some time attack stuff that you've done as well. What, what attracted you to, to, to start to take on that aspect or that challenge? Um, just a different sport, our side of the sport, really. Um, look, I, ha I haven't done a lot of time attack, but um, just a different side of the sport and driven a couple of people's different cars. Um, so it's, it's a different sort of challenge, you know, to try to get that perfect lap. Um, that we're all chasing uh, completely different end of the scale from endurance racing and, and, and really quite different to racing in general, because it's just you against the clock. Um, so yeah, look, I've got a lot of respect for the guys that put those cars together for time attack, but I, as I said, I haven't done a lot of time attack, but yeah, just a completely different discipline. Um, much like going and doing tarmac rally, a completely different discipline again. Um, and uh you know, I just sort of try to do as many different forms of motorsport as I as I possibly have been able to do, um, and will continue to do, I guess. I want to just uh, touch on uh, there was one entry a VS Commodore at Bathurst was under your name, Rickshaw Racing. Was that? Um, I think that was the last time you would have driven a supercar at Bathurst. Was that a car of your own build and uh, development? Okay, that was. Yes, that was my own car, uh, V8 supercar that I ran, and I built that with Bob Tyndall, who was a um, well-known V8 guy back then. Um, we built the car from one of the very last Holden Motorsport body shells and uh, ran it in the Konica series and then ended up at Bathurst with it. Um, so and then after that, yeah, I sold the car. But, um, yeah, that was the last time I ran a supercar at Bathurst. You're right. Was that, that car since been restored, hasn't it? has actually i just remembered i drove it probably 12 months ago or so um uh john alcorn has restored the car back to its former glory and he rang me up and said do you want to come out and have a have a steer of your old car and i said of course i do so went out to uh city motorsport park and had, had a drive and he had um uh dave adard there driving the old uh alcare car yeah Bill, billy adard had a bit fair bit to do with the re uh, the restore on those cars didn't he yes i think yes you're right he did yeah. absolutely put in a lot of work and time and effort and they absolutely pristine and mm. yeah we spent an afternoon following each other around the track and had a had a lot of fun it was it was really good loved it rick you've had a lot of um you know ups and downs around mountains pardon the pun bathurst nurburgring etc etc with your, your entire career and travelling around Australia in various different cars, what's your number one highlight when Rick's sitting back in the rocking chair having a, a fine single malt as an older gent? What, what's going to be the one you look back at and you say, yep, that's my finest moment at the racetrack? Honestly, taking the chequered flag at Nürburgring in the Mazda that I built and took over there, that's got to be right up there with one of my finest moments for myself um very satisfied with that um and, and honestly i guess seeing my my young son who's now 20 um sort of follow me and, and take off motor racing and and seeing him win his first race and and, and clean sweep a race meeting at phillip island at the beginning of this year that was probably another one of those moments where i reckon i had a tear in my eye seeing him do that so um i mean that was all up to him nothing to do with me but it was certainly a, a motorsport moment that I'm not going to forget for a long time. 
Oh, you, you're in fine company there because uh, I called a race in 2009, the development series for V8s and uh, James Moffat won the race. And in the back of the commentary booth, one foot behind me was Mr. A Moffat with tears rolling down his cheeks. So even the hard man of Australian motorsport will get a tear in the eye when the sun comes home with the goods. A absolutely. Yeah, I can, I can relate to that a hundred percent, but look, I'm, I, I've sort of paved my own way with motorsport. I've been really lucky. Um, I haven't had money in my pocket, but I've still managed to make it happen. And um, I'm always going to be very thankful to the people over the last nearly 40 years that have, that have helped me get out there and do what I'm doing. Um, and, uh, you know, I just never take it for granted. And I think you just make your own fortune, really. Um, you know, if, you, if you're passionate about it and you don't give up and you keep on pushing and keep on trying, pretty much it's going to go your way most of the time, I hope. And... Uh, you know, um, uh, like after so many years of, of working so hard to do what, what I like doing, it's I thought it was time to give back a bit. And, and that's why I started the RX-8 series for guys to come out and race and have fun and, and race sort of cleanly and closely in a controlled environment. Um, and to stand back and watch all those cars grid up now, I think, wow, it was well worth the time and effort to make it happen. So that's that's pretty special for me um especially the first time it was four years ago when we had our first proper rx8 race four seasons ago and and i can remember standing there watching the you know the cars grid up and it's just yeah a wonderful feeling yeah i just wanted to touch on that after all the, the highlights and whatever over the years to actually sit back and have now have your own series you raced in it uh, the first year, then you you sort of took a back step from there to to run the series. Has it all been uh, easy going, or has there been difficulties uh, along the way? Oh, look, no, it hasn't been easy going. It's definitely been hard, uh, a lot of hard work, um, trying to convince people that what you're doing was, you know, the right thing with all the right reasons, and that they should get involved. Um, to find corporate backings, just being virtually. In, you know, it's impossible virtually no corporate backing so far but we haven't given up so you know really we've just you know worked really really hard to to make it happen put a lot of time and effort in my, my wife Lisa's helped me a lot in the background with it but I guess it's just people believing um that what I was doing was a good thing and the right thing and um, and and not walking away from it and having a little bit of faith um and getting involved at any level, whether it was just helping in the background or, or actually building a car and saying, yeah, I'll come and join you and I'll, I'll put a car on, of my own on the grid. And we started off with six cars, you know? Um, so no, not easy. A lot of hard work uh, things. And sometimes, sometimes people are just working against you in the background and you just got to soldier on and keep on going. Um, so even today we're doing our fifth season now of RX8 Cup and, and, and every race meeting there's some challenge that pops up somewhere, gives you a headache and makes it difficult. But um, at the end of the day, you sit back and you look at it all and you go, that was a great event and a lot of people had fun and you know, we've got good numbers on the grid and it's still growing. Um, well, so it's a lot of fun. I like the, like the, the, the first year, you know, you, it was a New South Wales category, but you've since expanded it now. You've, you've been to Victoria um, obviously, you, you see that as a, as a potential um, improvement to the size of the grids because more people get to see the cars and the category and uh, want to be involved. Just before yeah. you, you get you answer that, Rick, Gaz, on that point with Phillip Island, um, Rick, my background is is you know with involved with the club locally at Phillip Island, absolutely resounding success with the people locally down there. They just loved it and the racing was was awesome so sorry to cut you off but that really the compliments out of that event with your category were, were massive yeah thanks darren that that's it's great feedback and it's you know I, I it makes you feel so good when you hear people talking about things positively in the background about you know, what, what you've done and so work so hard to do but uh look we were really fortunate i must say the first year when we kicked off with rx8 cup it was with amrs which was the australian motor racing series um, and it was the first year that they ran the series and we joined them. And it was actually a national um, championship, Gary, rather than just kicking off in New South Wales. It was an, a national series for the first two years with them. Um, and that uh, really gave us some momentum. Uh, when COVID hit, 
everything was sort of slowed down and we and that's where we started just to do the New South Wales Championship. Now I'm pushing forward to try to do more and more um, national uh, and we're organising the uh, New Zealand guys who run their RX-8s over there. They've got a very similar series in New Zealand to come over and join us at Bathurst. Um, now we're working on that hopefully now for April next year. And if we can make that work, we could have 50, 55 RX-8s on the grid at Bathurst. Um, and I'm not, I'm not gonna give up until that happens. So that's my, my next task that I've firmly set myself. And if the organizers wanna work with me, um, the New Zealanders are behind me, that's what's gonna happen. But I, I just wanna keep taking RX-8 Cup to, to greater heights. Um, I'd love to take some cars over to New Zealand and race over there. Um, we're going to keep on doing, you know, up and down the East Coast and we're, we're back at Phillip Island in December because everybody loves it. And we'll keep going back up to, you know, Queensland to Morgan Park and, and everybody loves Winton in Victoria. So, you know, the cars, it's, it's great to race these cars at different circuits and that's what the drivers want to do. So that's what we've got to keep on doing. Um, so I, I sort of team it as a term it as a, a national category, uh, even though we do the state's championship, we have a national points score. Um, and that's the direction we'll keep on going with it. Rick, that was uh, very interesting. We've had our first news exclusive. We're not a news podcast here at the Napa Auto Parts Grassroots Racing, but Gary's got the shakes up when you said uh, we're going to try and get 55 cars in April up to Mount Panorama there. He's just he's, he's, he's emailing the guys at Auto Action, hold the front page. I've got the news grab out of uh, the podcast last night. Well, yeah, look, we've got, honestly, we've got the New Zealand blokes. They are busting to get over here and race. They all want to go to Bathurst, obviously. I mean, who doesn't want to race at Bathurst in anything? So uh, they're busting to come over and bring their cars. Um, and then all our guys in the category here also, most of them have never raced or driven anything around Bathurst. So everybody wants to do it. Uh, we just got to make it work with the organisers. And it was penciled in for no... Um, for uh, November this year, but unfortunately that's now not going to happen and, and it's getting rescheduled for, for April. And look, everyone out there, cross your fingers for me, please, that we can get it there in April. Um, I'm not going to give up until it happens. At this point in time, Rick, I would like to share one of my favourite motorsport memories and it happens to have you front and centre on the stage and it's not that many years ago. Phillip Island, Q Tourist Trophy, Q Fashion One Hour Race, Tourist Trophy Race there. You were driving, uh, I think it was the Gary Manel Porsche. And uh, you talked about rocket ships uh, earlier on. And uh, that Bulgarian supercar, the Sin GT, with Ben Schutz at the wheel, happened to come past you in your Porsche yep. in a straight line. And something happened, but I'll backtrack for a minute. I'm standing there talking to Ben Schutz in his shed not long after the race. And didn't you come in the door and you said some expletives as you do when you come in there with a big smile on your face and you said, you literally blew the door off my car. Yeah, that's, that's right. And that's what happened. Um, so, uh, yeah, the door literally got sucked off the side of the car um, by another car going past me because as, as it passes, there's a low pressure area behind the car that's gone past you. And, uh, and the doors just buffeted and, and, and got sucked off its hinges and in the blink of an eye disappeared, never to be seen again. Um, I was just going to keep driving, but I figured I'll, I'll, get, I'll get black flag. Um, and it wasn't my car I was driving either. So, so I ended up pulling into the pits. Um, and look, we did recover the door and it had a fair bit of damage to it, but nothing that wasn't unfixable. Um, so the, the problem with those Porsches is the hinges are, are supposedly held on with a pin but the pinches on the door, there's a pin that holds the, the, the hinge on and everyone removes the pin. So it's easy to take the doors off the car to work on them and service them. Um, and the pins hadn't been put back in. So that's why the door came off. It was interesting uh, yes. because it was that the whole team got up uh, out from underneath the sin and all walked out of your shed and there it was, the car without a door on it. Car and I don't think door. even, the, yeah. I don't even think race control knew that it had occurred because it came off and landed on the side of the track and, no one saw it. It was like, we've got to go and find that door. No, there's no door, mate. Yeah, there was. There's no door on the side of our car. It's got to be somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of those moments. Um, the in-car footage so shows it really well of what happened. And 
I didn't quite know what to do at first. I just wanted to keep on racing because I was having so much fun. But uh, as, as I said, I thought, oh, I'll get Black Flag. Um, I might as well come in, you know. Um, but, yeah, it was one of those funny, funny moments. Well, being a Porsche, obviously the door wouldn't be cheap to replace either. No, definitely wasn't. <laughs> Lucky you weren't putting a bill for that one. God, well, you know, I've always taken responsibility for the cars I've driven and I've always paid my way. So, um, you know, that one of the, that was one of those afternoons where it cost me a few dollars to help fix it. But like I said, the door wasn't completely destroyed, luckily enough, and, and we managed to repair it and put it back on. Well, we're getting towards the end of our uh, little chat. I must say that we've covered a lot of ground and there's a lot more we didn't get to as well. But um, we're really hold, holding our hopes high, our fingers crossed that you do progress with this RX-8 Cup Series of yours and, and make that big transition and get it up to Bathurst next year. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Gary. Um, I'll certainly keep working hard towards it, uh, keep working hard in general to just keep the whole series going and growing and, and helping all the competitors uh, you know, join and build cars. And see, a lot of our guys come into, the, into motorsport in the series and, and they're completely new to motor racing. They don't know anything about it, how it works. So it's a, it's a big education for them. Um, and I do my best to sort of try to fill them in and, and let them know what they're getting involved and how, how stuff does work. But, uh, um, and you take, it takes all types of personalities. Like, we, as, you know, we've got John Bow driving one of my cars this coming weekend. And on the other end of the scale, we've got a young lady who's only just turned 15 years of age this week. And she's joining RX-8 Cup for the first time and she's never gridded up and raced in her life. So that may, means Maisie's got a battle on her hands to be the fastest femme. Is that correct? Well, yeah. Well, May, Maisie's got the job of helping her and looking after this young lady o, over the weekend. And uh, it just goes to show, we, you know, you've got 15-year-old girls racing and, and guys like JB with all the experience under his belt racing and, and then everything in between, blokes from all different walks of life and different age. Yeah, we, we've got an over 50s cup in the series and we keep a, a point score going and Terry Lewis won that last year, the over-50s Cup, and he was the, correct me, 1990 production car champion, or was it 92? Yeah, in Holden Commodore, remember that? Commodore, yeah. that's yeah. right. So we got guys from everywhere racing in the series. We've got blokes who haven't raced for 20-plus, 20 25 years. They hung their helmet up, never to race again, and all of a sudden they've gone and got their, their motor racing licence back and come out and joined us. It's, it's unbelievable. You really need to do and have a uh, media personality that used to race Mazdas come along and uh, oh do a bit, do a bit of a guest appearance after <laughs> JB's finished by the sound of things, Rick. Mate, you you are probably right, Darren. We probably do. And look, I welcome anybody into the category, and um, I, I'm, I'm not going to let that after... opportunity go by, Gaz. Sorry about yeah, that. Yeah, but just to be funny, <laughs> I'll get some mileage out I... of that. What I was going to say was after JB driving as a personality in the series this weekend, I thought the next race, we need to get a girl in. So Darren, you could, how about you wear a dress? Oh, I can do that. <laughs> I've done we'll worse. you in a car. How about that? <laughs> I've certainly done worse. I've absolutely done well, you, worse. You can, you can have him at the Phillip Island round. He won't have to travel so far. Yeah. Yeah. Why yeah, not well, the big, why not the big, scary fast track? Thanks guys. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> Throw you in the deep end. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's at this point, Rick, thank you very much for joining us on the Napa Auto Parts Grassroots Racing Podcast. It's uh, been fantastic to have you on here. And I think when we look at the title of our podcast, the, the Grassroots Racing, you really are the, uh, the epitome, although you've done it around the world and you've done it at the top level. You're a bloke that's always turned the spanners, got under the car. I and mean, if there's been something to fix, you're there to, you're there to fix it. So we thank you very much for your time. Guys, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me on board um, and sharing some of those memories with me. It's, it's, I've forgotten half of what I've done, which means I'm really fortunate to have done what I've done. Um, but look, guys, thanks again for having me on the show. It's been fantastic. All the best, Rick. We'll see you on the weekend. Will do. Thanks. Cheers. Fantastic to have Rick Shaw. What a career. And uh, it's still all out in front of him. And I reckon it's probably the biggest mountain he's got to climb trying to get 55 RX-8s up to, to Mount Panorama uh, next year. But good luck to him on that. Certainly plenty of action, as I said, at the top of the show at Tail and Bend last weekend. 
Uh, they had we had the sports sedans, the Aussie cars, and the Porsche Carrera Cup. Of course, Jordan Caruso took three from three in the uh, in the Audi A4 in the sports sedans, set a lap record. So really, not much more to report on there, is there, Gaz? But uh, he he absolutely had that uh, the weekend by the uh, by the throat, didn't he? Yeah, Steve Tomasi, to his credit, led second race for a while before uh, Jordan got past him and. Uh, Jeff Tanton Taunton came through in third spot in each race, but unfortunately got a little penalty in the last. It dropped him a couple of spots in that Mark II V8. In the other classes, I guess Super Utes actually put on some really good racing on the weekend, and Adam Margarine, in his return to racing, um, had a win, which was, uh, you know, it was a, probably a surprise to a few people that have been um, stalwarts of the, that category, even back in the turbo diesel days. So, a uh, good one for him to start off his uh, resurgence in career in um, Super Utes. And, of course, Aussie racing cars, well, they always go hard and fast, don't they? And uh, Cody Garland ended up winning that. And, of course, I think he'll be due to race in TCR this weekend up in Queensland. So he's doing a fair bit at the moment. Mark Griffiths had a nasty smash in the uh, Aussie oh, cars did, too. Yeah. That went over multiple times. And uh, great to see the veteran you know, get out and, and, and walk away from it. And I think we've seen Aussie cars have nasty crashes like that before and get out and walk away. They're a bit like a mini Cooper S, aren't they? Once they start rolling, they bounce up into the air and just keep going. They do. They and, do. And in our historic touring cars was interesting. Um, Aldo Di Piala won two races and uh, in the Chev Camaro from Western Australia, but had a, a fuel surge, a fuel problem, I think, in race two and dropped down to fifth spot, which meant that um, Craig Allen, who was driving Ian Mewitt's Ford Mustang out of Queensland, came through to win that race and with his two seconds won the uh, THR Developments Challenge by a point over the Camaro driver. It was great to see Andrew Williams back at the wheel of his LJ uh, XU1 after the nasty crash, and he smashed that up pretty bad. Great to see him back at the bend. He won a race the last time he uh, went there in his blue Tirana. Car got all back together, and he had a top five finish in race one. Uh, I don't think the rest of the weekend went quite as well um, as race the fuel, one. fuel, I believe, in the second race. Okay. They miscalculated on the fuel, but he came back in the third. Uh, the other cut one to note was Jason Humble in the Mazda RX2. I know you like to hear about Rotaries. He he was uh, the driver of the meeting and put in some really solid performances. I think he ended up with uh, a third and two fourths out of the weekend. So he That's went pretty well. Stuff. Yeah, good uh, stuff. The, uh, Carrera Cup was the, the other one we wanted to mention. Um, of course, yep. there's a, a couple of incidents there, um, particularly for poor Liam Talbot, who came out of grassroots of radicals many years ago, won the series there uh, several years back. But um, unfortunately, it was a... He had a rollover as well and a contact with his uh, Morris Pro-Am rival, Sam Shaheen, after uh, a car had spun in front of them. And I think it was um, Harry Jones in the, um, he was a leading the Pro Championship and had a spin and endeavouring to get past him, there was contact between the two and Paul Liam went over, over and he wasn't real happy when he got out of the car because it was sitting on all four wheels when they first spotted it. But what we, when we seen a replay, it was, oh, it's gone over. Yeah, that's not you don't like that replay, do you? Yeah, well, that's great. It's uh, we move on from Tail and Bend, and this weekend, I, I'm gonna have to say, this is probably the busiest weekend in Australian motorsport coming up this weekend. Leading the charge is Queensland Raceway with the Shannon's Motorsport Australian Championships. We've got uh, TCR, Trans Am, production cars, prototypes, radicals, and the Fanatec GT World Challenge on there as well. Gee, the Trans Ams are just growing in strength and strength, aren't they? Well, they've just come um, off a uh, two weekends over in Western Australia with their first round of their state series where they actually ran separately from um, running with sports sedans and sports cars. And they had a meeting the weekend before last at Wanneroo. It was very wet on the Saturday They ran, when they ran with the other categories. And then they ran on their own on the Sunday and, and uh, John Pride, ended up being the winner there in a Camaro. They're basically all Camaros over there. The only challenges that, that turned uh, turned up were um, one for Gary Hills, who didn't start as it turned out, and uh, Peter Robinson went across with his car, and um, Mark Crutcher, who seems to want to race every weekend in whatever he can drive, whether it be a, a Mustang Trans Am car or a, a Nissan Pulsar in the APRA series, 
<laughs> he's he was there so he went to those that both those meetings the second of which was at collie last weekend so as you said big things for trans am cars in australia and they just keep keeps growing and growing and you you can see why um peter Adderton wants to put brady kostecki in one to have a run great to see uh the production cars having a great field of cars as well so uh really interesting to to look at the field we've got all of the main contenders from sydney are entered again Except so, uh, for uh, Shane Smollen and Rob Rubis aren't running, but all the other BMW M3 slash M4s are running. Ben Jesikowski uh, in the older model, the E92 M3, is, is a, always been a bit of a dark horse. He was quite quick in Sydney. And the HSV club sport of Chris Lillis and Matt Holt will be another strong contender. I hate to pick you up, Gaz, but my entry form here has Shane Smollen and Rob Rubis clearly entered in Class X. Yeah. They withdrawn, have they? Uh, well, uh, Shane only gets back from overseas on a Friday night or something, and I think it was just a bit tight too. Right. Okay. Well, Chris Lewis and Matt Holt get back behind the wheel of the the HSV, so we'll see if the uh, the big V eight can take it up to them. Prototypes will be a ripper. Um, we've got Ricky Capo coming back in the Praga. Uh, the fleet of wolves traveling over from um, a, what do you call it? A, herd or a, a pride pa- or a pack, a pack of pack, wolves a pack of wolves coming yeah. over. So uh, that'll be good. The radicals back on track as well. So they'll have uh, two races over the weekend there as well. And the Fanatec GT World Challenge, where our very own Paul Stokel will be uh, pulling the helmet on uh, in the KFC car number two for this weekend. The Porsche and Michelin Sprint Challenge also on. And just harking back to the production cars, Gaz, fight in the night. We had some good oh. memories in the production car race. I'm sorry, I'm going to miss that. None of it's to do with on track. Yeah, and yeah, that's with the light, the lead lights they put on the cars and all that. It's just spectacular. Great to watch. You, I hope you really enjoy that. Um, it'll, be, it'll be besides, an absolute ripper. Yeah, besides that meeting, which is big enough in itself, there's um, a, a state championship meeting in Sydney, which we've already. Uh, alluded to with uh, Rick and the RX8 Cup, but there's also sports sedans, HQs, and all the other categories there, plus the festival at speed at Winton, which should be a fairly big meeting for historic cars. Yeah, the Group Q sports sedan group have really uh, gone behind this one. They've got a lot of cars entered there, conducted by the Victorian Historic Racing Register, and is also being uh, live streamed for the first time. So look forward to that. Um, Piarc at Phillip Island have got the August access meeting, supercars, two-litre sports sedans, XLs, and uh, sponsored this weekend by Racer Industries, and it continues the 70th anniversary celebrations for that club down there. Big reminder for 12th, 13th, and 14th of August, get trackside for the huge program of the Victorian State Circuit Racing Championships at Sandown. Of course, it'll be on BLTV there as well. But I'll tell you what, if you're... The last three weeks, there's plenty of uh, motorsport going on around the place. Oh, yeah, and a lot we'll have to get through the next time we meet up, Daz. Certainly will. Well, Gaz, thank you very much. That's uh, round five. Ding, ding, it's over. So we get to uh, disappear back to our corners. You can be in the red and I'll be in the blue, whichever way I come out a winner. (laughs) You wish. Thanks very much. We'll speak to you again in a fortnight. Thanks for joining us, everyone, on the Napa Auto Parts Grass Roots Racing Podcast. You've just listened to another Network Car production. 